awesome. All right, uh, let's keep going with Ephesians chapter 6, picking up at verse 12. Um, we left off just at the end of Ephesians 6, 11. We're starting to talk about the whole armor of God thing. And um, we, we talked a little bit last week, if you remember, uh, about some of the pitfalls that we tend to fall into with this. And one of them is that we, we love to make it about us and what we do. And so we, we talk about the armor of God as if it's that which lets us go out and, you know, beat stuff up or equip ourselves for doing our good works um, when in fact who's at work through all of this Christ. Christ and we even start to see then how he's at work too as we start to, to frame this discussion and so um, as we, we talked about this this is a summary this armor of God it's not a brand new thing so it's not a bait and switch like here's grace by grace you've been saved through faith and not by works, lest any should boast. Here's, you know, the baptism parts. Here's the more baptism parts. Here's the Christ in the church presenting you washed and holy without blemish or spot. And finally, we're going to undo all of that, restart it, and say, you go do good stuff or else. No, this is a continuation of that. And so the armor of God then is going to be flowing out of these gifts, which we have already talked about, namely Christ, who is given in word and sacrament. And this is really important as we start to deal with this, because as we deal with this, we recognize that there are spiritual things going on. So inside of Ephesians 6, 12, our, our verse that we're going to pick up with tonight, it, it reads, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Um, what's that sound like? Sound like normal everyday stuff? or Huh? It sounds like hell is battling with heaven. And it sounds pretty sensational. I mean, this is one of those things where we, we have sort of grabbed hold of these kinds of verses when we want to talk about spiritual warfare. And we paint pictures then of angels and demons battling in ways that you just can't see, but maybe if you pray hard enough, you can somehow lend a hand to the angels who somehow don't have this thing under control themselves because God is not at all involved in this fight. We talk about it as if you know we can somehow try and tune ourselves into to sense what is going on inside of these things so that as it all goes on around us, if only we can sort of latch on to the spiritual aspect of Christianity, maybe it just won't seem so boring all the time. And I really think that's a big part of it. I, I don't know that it was maybe the part of it that, that Paul was dealing with because, well, Christians were under persecution. But here in Western America, um, in American Christianity, we, we're sort of desperate for a little bit of sensationalism in our religion because otherwise, how does it tend to look? We do the same liturgy so much that you don't even need a hymnal anymore. And for all I occasionally get talked about, about why don't we introduce some new music into church, Pastor? Whenever I put a hymn in that you haven't sung at least 150 times, nobody sings a word. We like our repetitive. When everything is going nuts, the one thing in the world you want is something safe, something that you understand, something that, that you don't need to think about. That's why we drill. That's why we have tornado drills. That's why the army trains its soldiers the way that they do, because you don't have time to think about it when push comes to shove like that. And so we drill as Christians. And so we've been taught to pray in a very specific way. We say, Our Father who art in heaven. And everybody knows what to say next. 
I can say, the Lord be with you. And everybody knows what to say next. I, I can say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody knows what to say next. And day to day, it seems boring. It seems like nothing at all is happening. Because you can walk into church with everything falling apart around you and be told words, words that you have heard week after week after week, and leave church. So yeah, a little bit of sensationalism might be fine. Now, oddly enough, they're probably not looking for that in places where there are Christians being martyred all the time. They got plenty already. What's that say about us? Um, but more, when you divorce the way that God works from the means that he has revealed, we always end up spiritualizing that which is taking place in the physical realm and taking everything going on in the physical realm and trying to hyper-spiritualize it. Um, if, you, if you take away all the means that God works through, you end up looking in all the wrong places. Because if God says, lo, I am with you always, to the end of the age, and I say, that sounds great, where? Well, where is he? Well, yeah, but where? Because I can't see him. And I can say that God is everywhere. So, like, what do I do to feel him or find him or? There we go. Yeah. Even as he's saying this thing, he's telling you exactly where he is. He goes, when you're going into all nations, teach them all that I have revealed to you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there I am with you always, even into the end of the age. If I don't know to look for God in his word being taught in its truth and its sacraments administered rightly, where do I find God? I got to try to, like, I, can you feel God in this restaurant tonight? Can you feel God in this church tonight? Can, can you feel God in your relationship? And what does that mean? How do you measure that? Because it's led us to do some awful things. I'm not going to lie to you. If, if you're just sort of going for the tingly feeling, what happens when you can't find it and you're desperate for it? What happens when the wrong things give you the tingly winglies and you're convinced that that's God? You're led astray then. Lead us not, lo, into temptation. God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief to spare another great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we would finally overcome them and win the victory. That's our catechism. So God isn't going to lead anyone astray with tingly winglies. So I can say, like, God, if you don't want me to cheat on my taxes, give me a sign. And I didn't find a sign because I didn't want to pay taxes. Or, God, if you want me to cheat on my wife, give me a sign. And I felt really good. What's the problem? I'm looking for something spiritual, something sensational, when God all along has said, you want to know whether or not you should do that? Listen, dummy, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. Stop that. And if I won't just look at his word as it's been plainly revealed to me, I end up looking in really weird places. And if I look in weird places, I come up with weird answers, the answer that I want because I'm a weird guy. Um, and so when we talk about this then, um, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces at work in the heavenly places. I start looking then for angels and demons to battle over the sake of my soul, and I lose sight of the fact that where was my soul won? Could I see it? There was a physical incarnation where Christ took on human flesh and he was crucified. 
for people to see. I know this to be true um, because it's, it's historically preserved. Um, now, you're right, I personally didn't see it. And so I can sing um, everybody's favorite Good Friday hymn, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Um, but I wasn't, neither were you. But at the same time, even though you weren't there, and even though it never once caused you to tremble, um, do you know that it is a true thing? How? Again, God has revealed it to you in a very plain place. You don't have to go looking for whether or not Jesus lives within your heart. Because honestly, you ask me how I know he lives. He doesn't live within my heart. My heart is the thing that hates sunrise service with every fiber of my being. I don't like waking up that early. I'll go to late service. Um, but you ask me how I know he lives. Well, something like 500 some odd people saw it. They wrote it down. It has been historically preserved from generation to generation. It holds in the same way that we hold any other historical fact to question. If we're willing to say we believe in Julius Caesar, then we're willing to say we believe that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried. And we believe that he was witnessed three days later, alive and well. And yeah, we're going to go along with the angels. For in faith, we have been, uh, it has been revealed to us that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, when we want to look, though, outside of the cross and resurrection for the place where my soul was fought over, how do I deal with these things? Superstitiously, usually. And so, um, is there sort of like a Christian superstition that, that sort of maybe, maybe even takes over in an unhealthy way? I'm not saying that, that we eagerly seek out dark things. But oddly enough, um, why don't floors, why don't when we big, build big buildings, why don't we have 13th floors? So like if you, if, if you accidentally stay on the 13th floor, God is just going to forsake your soul? What's the problem with all of this? There is such a thing as a demon, but... Well, let's go... Let's, let's do this. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we know that there is such a thing as a... a devil who prowls about like a roaring lion how do we resist him firm in your what's your faith this is that boring part that happens week after week after week right the the thing is when we want to talk about being firm in your faith what we talk about then is that stuff that has been made firm by while repeating it week after week after week, so that when you are terrified and you don't know what to say, I, I can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, and everybody knows right where to go. This is how. This is how we fall back against um, such spiritual forces. When, when we get so desperate to, to find these things playing out in ways that have, are um, 
the ways that I cannot see, ways that I cannot access, all I can do is start to assume how they're going. And then I say, well, if it feels dark and spooky, the demons must be winning. And if it feels, you know, tingly-wingly, well, then the angels must be winning. But all along, who won? Christ has already won the battle. It's over. When we want to talk about the devil who still prowls about like a roaring lion, we don't resist him by picking up a sword and, and swinging it at him, but by taking shelter in, in the faith which we ourselves have been established in. And this is what happens then. Um, you'll suffer a little while. The same kind of sufferings have been experienced by Christians throughout all the world. But your God, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What, where does this ultimately take place? Huh? That's good, baptism. I was going to say the resurrection of the dead, but baptism joins us to this. And so um, ultimately, though, it comes to the same point. Because to be baptized is to die and rise with Jesus, right? You have to die. And then you have to rise. This is where your faith goes. And so then to, to sort of... Say, if the angels are really protecting me, I'll never once suffer, I'll never once hurt, and I'll never once be afraid. What do you think? After you have suffered a little while, no. So then to be guarded in the valley of the shadow of death is to recognize that Christianity, Christianity is a religion about suffering. Our symbol is a dead guy on a cross. We say we want to be really close to it. God died on that cross, and he unites us through death and unto life everlasting. And so, we're not afraid of suffering. We already have the victory over it. We know that God will not abandon us or forsake us to it. And so we can deal with it. We don't have to like it. We don't have to, you know, laud it or sing praises for hurting. But we know, we already know, Christ himself was given over to that same suffering, that suffering that, by the way, is not unique to just me, so that even though I am bearing this thing, and I can say, well, at least God knows what it's like, but God won't, you know, sympathize with me, even though he does. He also, in his mercy, gives me other people who have gone through the same thing. And we sympathize together. You ever notice that when something awful comes apart, everybody else is willing to come out and share a story and kind of even just bear that with you, to sit in the pit with you for a little while. I'm not saying, like, this is how we fix every problem, um, but, but even just to, to bear it in, in prayer with you, um, to, to bear it in, in even silence with you. What a joy that God in his mercy would, would even use the sufferings that happen down here as a way that we might comfort each other. Because we're not alone in this thing. To be baptized into Christ is also then to be baptized into, well, the family of God, the church. And so I have brothers and sisters in Christ who comfort me when I'm afraid, who bear my sufferings with me. And again, if you want to look to something that's purely spiritual for this, and I say, God, I'm suffering, send me a guardian angel. My relative who has gone ahead and is looking down from heaven, um, I'm looking away from all the places where the real help is. And so you can insist that the people in heaven are taking care of you, but that just means that God isn't. I don't know that I like that. They're in heaven. They're rejoicing. But part of heaven is rest from their labors. I'm not dealing with all my garbage. 
God will take care of me even as God took care of them. That's what wipes every tear from their eye. They don't have to work. They already know that God, the same God who saved them, is at work to save me. And so I, they don't need to worry about me. I'm covered. And if I'm going to only look for places where God has not promised to work, yeah, it's either going to lead me to a dark place or it's going to lead me to nothing. And I'm going to run headfirst into that wall and the devil will be more than happy to point out that a thing that I believed in didn't hold water. Are you with me on that? When we start to look for the places where God has not promised to work, oddly enough, we don't find God. And so when he talks about spiritual things, and we divorce these spiritual things from means, we have no way to see what's going on. And so yes, there is a, a, a spiritual warfare going on. But when you divorce it from the places where God joins spirit to flesh, then you're never going to actually find the battle being fought. And the joy about being able to actually find the battle being fought is that you can find it already won. You are not just flesh. You are not just spirit. You are spiritual flesh. You are body and soul together. Whenever you start to sort of saw the two would happen, say, I'm only going to deal with the flesh now and the spirit won't get hurt, wrong. You're going to have very serious spiritual trauma. And whenever you just want to divorce the two and say, I'm only going to worry about my spirit and I'm not going to take care of my flesh, fine, skip dinner. Tell me how it goes. As it turns out, God wants to nourish both of these things. And so when he deals with even these spiritual things, he is at work inside of the flesh to do with this. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Awesome. Questions or comments there? Yeah. Cool. All right, my three-year-old has it under control, so I assume you do too. Um, let's go 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. I want to talk about something else. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God I do not want you to be participants with demons um, is false belief dangerous yes or no 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 20 yes false belief is dangerous um, it's not something that we want to be joined together in um, but at the same time, did Christ die for pagans? Yes, because he died for all, absolutely. And so when we talk about this, um, the, the framing of this whole armor of God section is directed only at one enemy, and it's not each other. It's not even unbelievers. It's not an us versus them, good guys versus bad guys, Christians versus pagans type of thing. We don't join ourselves to their worship because their worship is to something ungodly. But at the same time, the question is simply this. Did God die for the ungodly people? Yes. Okay. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, we can then see fellow human beings as victims of the same who actually need Christ's rescue. If, yes, a, a false religion has led you to worship something false, strange thought, um, sacrifice then to that which is ungodly, demons, they're a victim of false belief. They're a victim of the lies of the evil one. What does Christ want for them? Yeah, he wants them to be saved. He wants all men 
to be saved, all people to be saved. And so when we, when we deal then, even with people outside of what we believe, we recognize this, the forces that work inside of this and look to the means by which God would address them. Um, when, we, when we talk about this then, again, we, we want to look to the means by which these things are happening. And so how then are, are people brought to faith? Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. We don't deal with things then um, in terms of, well, made-up rituals. Um, if you want to put a picture on it, what's an exorcism look like to a Lutheran? Yeah, baptism. Literally nothing else. Because again, how does God chase out demons? He puts on the armor of God. He washes. Um, when we sort of say, all right, so an, a, a true exorcism is you have to get a, a specially trained priest, not a normal priest, but a specially trained one, and he's going to talk only in Latin, not in English. He's going to, like, splash some salt around and some holy water, not normal water, holy water, and he's going to say a very specific ritual that's not in Scripture, but it's secret, and, and it'll somehow cast out the demon if you do it enough times. This is the picture that gets painted in movies, right? We're looking for a means to get rid of a demon. That's what it comes down to, right? Show me how to get rid of this thing, because it's bad. I know that it's bad, but show me how to wage war against it. And all along, God is saying, look, dummy, pay attention. It's right here. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's an exorcism. In Luther's right, um, which we have in our agenda, um, there's, there's two baptismal rites of the new hymnal. One is in the agenda, um, and, and the other one's in the hymnal. And so since it's in the hymnal, everybody has it. I tend to stick with the hymnal one. But the other one in our agenda is actually Luther's baptismal rite, and it's way cooler. I wish they were both in there, because I would use that one way more. Um, but it actually says explicitly, depart all you unclean spirits and make room for the Holy Spirit. It recognizes that if this war is going to be fought, it's going to be fought the places where God is going to fight it. And so... Does something spiritual happen in a baptism? But it's just water. No, it's not. It's water and the word of God. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That's our catechism. It says again, God joins the spiritual to the physical. There's not two things, and one is secret and one is public. God wants you to know about this spiritual so much that he wrote a book about it, and he says, look, pay attention. If you want to know where your spiritual salvation is, look to the man God Jesus who physically died for you. If you want to know whether or not you have it, your loved ones have it, look to the places where, again, he makes it concrete. Because otherwise you're going to go looking in really weird places. And so we say, look, are you baptized? Here's your exorcism. Rejoice. God's word is a real thing. And the victory has already been won. You can find it in the cross and the empty tomb. So you don't need to sort of feel your way through that which you can't see or, you know, feel. Um, which, is, which is good news. Are you with me on this? Yeah? So with this picture then that we're painting, um, when we talk about sort of the, the spiritual realm, um, again, we, we're not going to deal with things spatially. Um, we're, we're not going to say, like, there is the plane of hell and the plane of heaven and the plane of earth, and, and um, the, there are things happening that you cannot see in the spiritual planes where heaven and hell are doing battle, and earth is sort of stuck in the middle, and, and um, heaven is up and hell is down. We don't deal with things that way. When things wage war, um, they wage war as God is 
bound them to creation. Because remember, first of all, in the beginning there was the word, namely God, Christ. Without him, was there anything made that was made? That's John. Um, in the beginning, it was just God. Heaven and hell, earth, all of it is what? God made, yeah, God made. Um, all of it's bound then to that which was made for, who was it made for? Huh? For us. Was hell made for you? It's a Bible verse, you can actually say no, hell was made for the devil and his angels. Um, and so when we deal with these things, we're not going to deal with them purely in a spatial realm. We're going to deal with them in terms of that which saves and that which damns. Because this is how I determine the lines between heaven and hell. The pagans who sacrifice to demons, well, right here, they are creating hell on earth. Where Jesus is truly present in body and blood for you to eat and drink heaven met earth because heaven is not a cloud heaven is where jesus is and hell is not a cave that's on fire it's where god is cast aside god rejects it is godless are you with me on this and so then when we talk about hell on earth is there such a thing as hell on earth yeah it's not just measured in suffering though which is how we would tend to do it because when we talk about heaven and hell, we only talk about them in terms of whether or not I hurt. That's weird, right? But if heaven is just wherever Jesus is, was there a point in time where heaven hurt? A day on Friday, maybe? Yeah. A, a Friday where Christ was on the cross. We're not going to measure this purely within our pain. Because Christ himself says, you will suffer. And you'll be brought through it. There will be a time when your tears are wiped away, when your suffering is removed. But when you're in your suffering, it's not because I've abandoned you, is it? What happened to that low I am with you always stuff? Did God abandon you and that's why you're hurting? You're just further away from God? No. In fact, quite the opposite. If faith in Jesus goes to Jesus, if, if, if our, our hope is to be near Christ who suffered, then we recognize then that greater love is no more than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Is that a Bible verse? Then we, we suffer for one another, and that's not godless, but godly. Heaven and hell aren't measured in how much you hurt. They're measured in where God is. If God is present, then heaven is present. If God is absent, then that's hell. Um... When we talk then about the victory in Christ, this is how we start to talk about heaven joining earth. In, in other words, if, if this was still a toss-up, if this fight was still going on, and we'll see how it plays out by the end, then I can't say this is heaven. But if Christ has already won the victory, he's already defeated the devil, and so when he shows up here and we sing, this is the feast of victory to our God, then we can say, yeah, this is a place where the devil has no more power. This is a place where there is healing and life and forgiveness and salvation to, to share. And when we talk about things that then are hell on earth, what we're going to talk about are things that are intentionally godless. When we intentionally remove God from these things and replace him with other 
idols. That's what hell on earth is. Because if heaven is near Jesus and hell is where he won't be, if you filled up a room full of idols, whatever they are, demons, false gods, money, you're making your pit. Are you with me on this? Questions or comments? I'm not saying that stuff is hell. I'm saying that if you said, I'd rather have the stuff than the giver, that makes for a bad day in the long run. Um, in the same way that um, my kids, you know, can I, would they rather have the presents on Christmas or the family um, that they gave them? The presents might seem like a great idea at the time, but how long till they're hungry? Okay, same thing. Um, are you with me on this stuff? So again, when we're talking about the whole armor of God, in verse 13, it says, uh, Ephesians 6, 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Again, we want to look to where God has manifest these things physically, that we might rejoice in knowing what the armor of God is, because it's not sort of a cardboard cutout that you made in Sunday school that you can go with a cardboard sword and womp the devil. Um, it, it is something that we might be able to stand firm, having done all, in the evil day. Um, and these are things that, that again, have, have already been painted for us. This is a summary, and so this isn't new. Um, I want to go Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Something we already talked about. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. How do Christians live? Because mm-hmm. it's dark down here. Bad things happen sometimes. People do bad things. And so, Christians live recognizing that even though the days are evil, even though there's bad things and bad people doing bad things, is there a God at work to forgive and heal and strengthen in the middle of it? And so, how might your time be best used? hearing the word of God, being with the people that God has given you to be with, so that we can endure yeah. these things together. Yeah. yeah? Wow. Okay, can you go with mommy now? No. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you. Here. So, um... <laughs> I want to help you. You don't need to help me. Um, so that as we keep going with this, thank you. <laughs> I want to go to Luke 23, 29 to 31. Luke 23, 29 to 31. There's a danger when we talk about how dark days are because different days look different to different people. And so today, I guarantee you, today is the worst day of somebody's life. It might not be yours, though. You know what I mean? So is this whole thing about you and how you feel. Like, really, the whole universe centers around me. And so if I've had a bad day, none of your days count. Really what matters is how I feel. Is that accurate? That's a good way to live my life. No? Okay, good. Um, keep that in mind, man. All right, so let's go Luke 23, 29 to 31. We want to recognize two things are going on here. Uh, Luke 23, 29 to 31. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the brass that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do, not, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What's Jesus saying? There are going to be some really, really dark days ahead. Where is he? 
when he's saying this? What's your heading tell you? Yeah, he's, he's heading towards the cross. Um, if you want to do this thing wholly and completely again, all about me, all about how I feel, I'm going to get wrapped up in my own head. And this is, this is the sin of depression. It's a mental condition. I, I don't mean to say that it's a choice, that if somebody just chooses to be depressed, chooses to have anxiety. But what these things are are manifestations of the old Adam that simply cannot stop being self-centered. In the same way, oddly enough, because it's ironic, the people who are, are grossly overconfident and just jerks because of how big their egos are, they, can't only, they can only see things through themselves, right? It's all about me. The devil's great trick is that he can actually use the other end of the coin about the exact same thing. Depression is simply you can't get out of your own head. And so anxiety is I will dwell on the tiniest little thing that I did wrong that nobody else noticed, but I cannot let go of. Who's it all about? Still me. We say stop looking simply at yourself because some of these days are going to be dark. They are. But how do we stand firm together? not looking at ourselves, not simply measuring our conditions, which are going to change from time to time, but by looking to where Christ is. He tells them these things. If they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? If they're willing to do this in front of God himself, how terrible will they be when they've cast him aside altogether? But where is God? On the cross. Is there an answer then to the evil day? How might we best put to use the, the days ahead? It's not dwelling on our own iniquities. It's not dwelling on our own insecurities. It's not, frankly, dwelling on ourselves. Um, if you want to try and measure these things, the, the darkness of the days, you're going to miss the whole point. I want to go to Revelation 20, 7 to 10. Revelation chapter 20, 7 to 10. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in that beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who, was who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Where's the victory? Measured in how much you hurt that day? This is talking about the last day, by the way, when the devil will be cast into the lake of fire forever. This is talking about the resurrection of all flesh, judgment day. My, my hope for this thing is to be found, again, not in how I can measure the day as dark or light, but as in this. It was really, really dark when Christ was crucified, wasn't there? Darkness over the face of the land. I don't want to measure it on these conditions. Because the only thing that's going to do is make me care more about myself and less about the places where God has brought light to darkness. And darkness cannot overcome it. Um, because this verse doesn't paint a picture of the, the just right now and the just how I feel. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day having done all to stand firm. But I thought all was already done. Is it maybe even finished? Completed? John 19, 28 to 30. 
John 19, 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine and a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. What's left to do? Nothing. Will you be left standing then? On that last day, will you be left standing? You could know this one. Yeah, because Christ is one. I'll be in heaven. I'll be raised up on the last day. I will have the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting because Christ has already done this thing. And so it's not mine to sort of fight and fight. And if I manage to somehow fight hard enough and, and bring enough light to darkness and, and clobber the devil, then and only then will I be left standing on that last great day. No, I can tell the truth. There will be dark days coming and they're going to hurt. My, my answer to those dark days is not dwelling on them. It's not just sort of changing my perception. It's pulling my head out of my own belly button and looking to the cross of Christ. It, it's not worrying so much about me and my immediate condition and recognizing the victory that has already been won in Christ who has already been crucified, already been raised, and has promised that as surely as he has risen from the dead, we will rise. We will be left standing. Nothing here can knock you down in a way that Christ cannot raise you back up. True? Okay, then. What's left for you to do? This is why the armor of God looks like what it does. It's a defense, not an offense. Are, are you with me? So, Romans fifteen eighteen. Romans fifteen eighteen. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. This is Paul. Did he do some pretty cool stuff? He had some adventures. Like he went on boat rides and mission journeys and did he do miracles? Were people saved because Paul preached sermons? Did Paul baptize people? Yeah, he didn't want to talk about it, though. Like, even if you put him on the spot, he goes, all right, so I, I didn't baptize anybody, and I thank God that I don't baptize. Okay, I baptized you, and I guess I baptized you. I probably baptized. I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is not whether or not I'm baptizing, but whether or not God is saving. How is God saving? Yes, through the baptism, through the word. But Paul doesn't want to boast in his own actions. He doesn't want to boast in what he has done for the Lord. He wants to boast in what the Lord has done through him. And so if the thing at hand is Paul's preaching, then Paul boasts that God would preach through even a Pharisee. If, if we want to boast in taking up and putting on the whole armor of God, it's not that we can sing onward Christian soldiers and say, look at all the stuff we did for you, O Lord. We built your kingdom. But it's that we can say, God, look how you would defend me. Look how you would accomplish all of these things despite everything that I've done wrong, despite the fact that I cannot just stop being depressed or anxious despite the fact that i cannot stop being full of myself as it turns out i'm a sinner and to where that sin is to daily drown it and so we don't just say all right so you're baptized you're not depressed anymore right we recognize that there'll be care to do for that and it's a recognition that your sin looks different from my sin and so it'll be treated differently than my sin 
In the same way that I wouldn't put an alcoholic in a bar and say, well, you're baptized. Um, I, I wouldn't put somebody depressed inside their own head and say, just figure it out. But the whole point is, stop looking to your own works. Look to Christ, and there you can actually find peace. For no matter how dark the day gets, you will be left standing. For Christ himself has equipped you for this. Um, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you would be able to stand, withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. What's left to do if you're wearing the armor of God, the baptism that has united you to the resurrection of the body already? What is left to do? You're cool. Yeah, rejoice. Hear the word of God. This is how we stand firm. And so it's not then about the evil day. It's about the victory that lets us withstand it. So I'm not super concerned about how dark the day looks anymore. I'm concerned with whether or not my God has brought light to darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. Is that a Bible verse? Yes. John chapter 1, that's your Christmas text. And so it's, it's, it's not about me. Thank God. It's not about me. It's about my God for me. It's not about you. It's about your God for you. This is what the armor of God is. It, it, it removes you from the picture. Because the thing that protects you is the armor, right? Okay, well, if you have the armor on, it's not about whether or not you're tough enough. It's about whether or not the armor is good. Good armor. You'll be all right. Okay? Any questions there? All right. Uh, 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. How do we stand? By doing stuff or by receiving stuff? Now, see, it's, it's, and it's weird verbs here, because I can say it does say put on, right? Um, but I can also say that in the same way that it talks about putting on the robes of baptism. Um... It's it, it stand in truth and righteousness. Where did truth and righteousness come from? Those came from God. So if I'm going to be standing, what do I need? The God things, right? So the question isn't whether or not I managed to put a belt on, but whether or not I was given a belt of truth. The question is not whether or not I managed to dress myself this morning, but whether or not God would clothe me, give me that to wear which actually protects. Um, I want to go... Exodus 12, 11, because these are important things that we're talking about. And I don't want to over-allegorize them, because this, this, it's dangerous. When we, when we build our cardboard armor of God, we, we can sort of say, like, all right, so here's the, the belt of truth, and, and this is what it's good for in this particular case. Um, I want to talk more about what these words are, um, as opposed to trying to figure out allegorical answers. Uh, Exodus 12, 11. It reads, In this manner you shall eat, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. What are the people about to do? Yeah. They're about to, to exit Egypt. What's about to happen? The angel of death is going to come and pass over everyone who has the blood of the lamb painted on their doorpost. Um, this is this is the truth. How do you pass? How does how do you avoid dying this night on the Passover? You do. Um, the truth is for 
being brought out of death and slavery. Um, if you're going to put on the belt of truth, we recognize what it's for. It's, it's for the real things that we're up against. Who is the truth? I am the way and the truth and the life. Um, Psalm 8611. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Had the people not been given the truth about the God, the one true God, the one living God, would they have gone on the exodus out of the land of Egypt? When they start to get distracted from the truth, what do they start talking about all over again? They actually want to go back. They said, Lord, did you really bring us up here to die in this wilderness? There was at least food to eat when we were slaves in Egypt, right? And what does God have to remind them of? The truth. You really remember that? How you were dying there? Was that really great? Who am I but the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt? Do you think I'm going to forsake you here? Who am I but the, the living God who, who has promised you the 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 land of Canaan, that, that I will guide you to that land. Um, the, the truth is what, what well, it's, it's Psalm 8611. The truth is, is what does this. It is a light to our path. Um, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. The, the, the light uh, of the truth becomes our path that we walk on. Um, and, and it actually does resist something. It keeps us from something. John 844. Yeah. John 8, 44. You have your father, your devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What does truth resist? What does truth resist here? Who's the father of lies? Satan. So, how do you combat a lie? With the truth. What is the belt of truth for resisting? Yeah, resist the lies of Satan. How do we stand firm in the dark days? When they will say, would it be better? Mountains fall on me, hill cover me. I want to die. I don't want to be alive. This is something that we actually wrestle with today. This is not a foreign concept in, a, in some sort of like um, future, last, end times, dark scenario. This is just how we live our lives. If you took a secret poll among high schoolers, how many of them would be praying that prayer? Mountains cover me, hills fall on me. I don't want to even know the number because I know it's of too many. How do we answer this? The lies of the evil one. We put on the belt of truth, namely Christ. We look to him for our life, him for our salvation, him for our hope. Because if I just want to make it about me and what I'm going through, you're right, it's dark. And if I'm willing to do these things in front of God, if he's not right there, 
and I can't actually see them, then how dark will it get? What we say then is put on the belt of truth. Pay attention to God's word. Christians aren't overly concerned with the devil and his lies. We're overly concerned with the truth of God that allows us to live. We don't spend a lot, a lot of time talking about dark things here. We don't talk about Satan um, in that we have to really, really focus on the occult and we have to really, really focus on demon summoning and, and all this stuff because it just it doesn't concern us. Yeah, he's a real enemy. Yeah, it's dark out there. But the thing that's going to help me endure is not leaning into the darkness. It's not chasing down those things and trying to combat them myself. It's not just getting really comfortable with it so it doesn't bother me as much anymore because that's all possible to do, but none of it ends well. We put on the belt of truth. We fall back into Christ, who says, I brought light to darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. We do the boring stuff week after week after week. Because remember, we want to sensationalize this stuff. So what do I do? What church prayer can I pray to not struggle with anxiety? What, what way can I give myself to Jesus that I won't feel tormented or li belittled? Or how do, I, how do I give enough money so that I won't suffer or pray and really mean it so that bad things stop happening to me? And all along, remember these things are happening in, in day and day and day um, in divine service, in the order of the church which you have been established in and the word of god which is a part of your lives this is where it's given and this is where christians actually have their answers you memorize your catechism that's how you combat the lies of the devil in the world in your own sinful nature really it's it's seven-year-olds do it you, you receive god's gifts so that for an hour for an hour you are given words that are not about yourself but about your god for you because honestly, if you let me talk, I know what I want to talk about the most. It's my favorite topic in the whole wide world. It's me. I'm very important. Just ask me. But for an hour a week, we're actually told, no, this is about God for you. And so we sing God words. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have you know these words. And actually make you say them so that for half a second you'll recognize you already got all the stuff you're so desperate for. It's right here. Lamb of God, who takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Grant us your peace. Where is it? It's right on that altar. We're about to eat it and drink it. It's all about Jesus for sinners. And this is where light starts to crack the darkness. This is where the devil's lies start to come unraveled. And so we're not super concerned with every last lie of the devil because you're not going to be able to tease it out. You're going to combat it with Jesus. If you really want to be of the father of lies, well, then the only thing you're going to be speaking are lies. We have nothing to do with him. He can't hurt you. Yes, he's a murderer from the beginning, but you have the victory in Christ, even the victory over death itself. Let him do whatever he wants to. Wear the belt of truth and even the breastplate of righteousness. These are, are things given um, for, for you to wear so that you would stand in the dark day. Um, because again, whose righteousness do we wear? We talked about this last week. Christ's righteousness. Isaiah 59, if you remember from last week, um, it, it talked about that it is God himself who put on the breastplate of righteousness to do battle against the evil one. Whose breastplate of righteousness do you wear? It's literally the one that God himself already wore for you. And there he did the battling. What do you got to squish that's left? It's been done. And this is the joy then. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ? 
is the, the uh, Galatians 3. Uh, Romans 6 is his death and resurrection. That's the how. But we've actually put on Christ. I wear not my righteousness, but I wear his righteousness. How am I going to stand? By me doing enough or by him doing enough? That's easy. That's, it's got to be him who has done it. And here, here we actually have something that we can fall back on and, and find a little bit of peace inside of. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be no sin, or excuse me, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We put on righteousness. We put on Christ. We're baptized. Again, this is not something that you need to sort of like hyper-spiritualize. This is not sort of like an um, a, a, a invisible armor that clanks around and, and, and somehow defeats invisible demons. God has joined these things to something you can see and touch so you can actually know you got it. So are you baptized? Yes. You wear the righteousness of God. What can harm you now? Truly, what? You're not going to find it by looking to yourself, by, by looking to your strength, but by looking to the place where he has put it so that you can actually see that you've got it. Remember, when we divorce God from the means he works, we always end up looking in weird places. And so when, we, when God talks about spiritual things, we refuse to see them in the means until he directs us there. And so when, I, when he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, I think that, all right, that's got to be like a magical item of some sort. This has got to be a relic passed down. There actually has to be something. I Instead, God would say, look, you've already got it. It's not hard to find. It's given to everyone. If, you, if there is life that can live in this land, there are the means for this. There is namely water and God's word. And so inside of this, um, there is everything that you might need for your salvation, even the breastplate of righteousness. There, there is life. Because God has put it there that you can actually see it and know you've got it. Are you with me here? So Philippians 4, 7 and 9. This will be the last thing tonight. Philippians 4, 7 and 9. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, patience in these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What are we going to focus on? The bad things or the good things? Specifically, what good things? The things that we've been given that actually work for peace. Um, Christ's righteousness guards our hearts and lets us stand, not by letting us dwell on the darkness, but actually by giving us something else to focus on. He gives us a baptism. He gives us his word. He gives us even each other through vocation so that Paul can even say, look to what you've seen in me. Not that I am so great, but that God has accomplished these things. And that, that we would be gifts to each other inside of it. If there's going to be then anything that, that we would stand in the day of peace, that would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, think on those things. Find me something more honorable, more just, more pure, more lovely, more commendable, more excellent. 
God has given you all of these things so that you would dwell on those things. That's how we stand in the day, um, that, that we'd be kept, um, that, that we would be left standing. Um, and, and so then on the worst day of your life, when the pastor comes in the hospital, what's he do? If he's good, he gives you the God stuff, absolution, Lord's Supper, even a psalm, the prayers, the things that, that you have been equipped um, with that you would stand in the last day of trouble. Um, all of these things are, are, are God-given, and this is why God would give them, that they would actually bring peace, peace that surpasses understanding, because it's not about you. It's about God who has already endured these things to get you through whatever these things are so much that you can stop worrying about yourself. You're fine. You're wearing the armor of God. You're baptized. There's not a thing going on that can change that fact. It is every single day the worst day of somebody's life. And every single day Christ is given word and sacrament to equip those people to be brought through that into life everlasting. This is, this is the practice of the Christian so that we can actually find peace in it. Uh, questions there? All right, let's pick up at 15 next time then. Thank you very much. Shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all very much.